The country where I stayed for uh, about 14 years called Namibia uh, would, would have a lot of thirst. People would become quite thirsty because it's dry and it's hot, especially in the desert areas. Now, now imagine that you're very, very thirsty, uh, that you cannot find water anywhere, and you feel like dying. I don't know if any of you have ever felt like dying because of thirst. But some people who went through uh, the desert and so on, they, they were at a point of death if they didn't get water. Now suppose someone comes up to you then with a glass and gives it to you, like um, Andrew puts uh, a glass of water every Sunday morning here. He boils it beforehand and, and puts it here. But suppose someone brings a glass of water or a glass to you, but there's nothing in it. The glass will help you nothing. It will not take away the thirst that you have. Now, in the same way, Paul says that our thirst will never be quenched if Christ did not rise from the dead. And he uses different images to say that. Let's look at the message of Paul. The first thing that he says, if Christ were not raised, we should close the doors of this church. At the beginning of this chapter, he emphasizes the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what everything is about for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. This is the foundation of everything. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. If he stopped after buried, it would have meant absolutely nothing. Now, if this is the content of his message, and it never happened, it is absolutely disastrous for us as a congregation, and for all the churches in Northern Ireland, and for all the churches in the world. By this gospel, he says, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Otherwise, nothing makes sense. And he repeats it later on in the chapter, verse 14 and 17, almost the same words. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. What am I doing here? Could be much cheaper for you as a congregation. And so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 
you are still in your sins. Nothing makes sense. Well, then we could just as well have gone to a, a synagogue or a mosque. Uh, we could read Khalil Gibran or the wisdom of Confucius. And it could just make us more confused about life. Because there's no sense. The message we then proclaim would be a message without any hope. One of the great theologians of the 20th century, Hans King, wrote, Without Easter, the confession about Christ's victory over death, there is no gospel, no Bible, no church. No comforting community. And all the history of Kalinchi Presbyterian Church since 1630 means nothing. That's the long and the short of it. No message, no faith, no salvation, nothing to sing about on a Sunday morning. Pitiful people. Second thing he says, if Christ were not raised, we would have had no future. Martin Heidegger, the philosopher, in uh, the work Farmer from Bohemia, wrote, as soon as you are born, you're old enough to die. This is not the way we think about death. Old people die. Sick people die. But as soon as we realize that everybody dies, we begin to make plans to get rid of this terrible idea. Even in our language, we are trying to get rid of it. The graveyard became a cemetery. And dying became, he lost his last battle. Or he passed away. Rollo May, the psychologist, said, death neurosis is the root of many mental illnesses. Because death is that symbol in our lives of complete powerlessness and finiteness. We can do nothing about it. And it fills us sometimes with anxiety. We run away from the idea. They call it thanatophobia. Thanatos, the Greek word for death. And in the, in the Bible... Death is also pictured as quite a bad thing. According to Isaiah 5, death is hungry. It's a crafty enemy, according to Psalm 18. It sneaks through windows to grab children. Jeremiah 9 says, Death is the last enemy, Paul says whose fatal sting is sin. It's an, something that we cannot escape. It's terrifying, relentless. And you know what? Isaiah 28 says, this is the one thing we cannot strike a bargain with. 
it will come. Emil Brunner writes, We all have to die. All our accounts will eventually close with the same balance. Null. You can decide not to think about it. You can close your windows of your soul to the idea of death, he says. You can bury it in hard work, trying to forget it. You can try to drown it in your glass, travel around all over the world, babbling all the time so that the voices of despair could be silenced completely. But like the water of a fountain, which will always rush out at another place when it is blocked. So it is with despair about death. It is the soft music in the background of our lives. And then Emil Brunner writes, despair is when we don't see any exit, no final goal, if everything is finished with death, there is indeed reason for despair. Then everything is like a pit where all must go in, the beautiful and the ugly, the good and the bad, the worthless and the important. If Christ was not raised, then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. So you think that you're looking forward to see your brother or your sister or your husband or wife or your friend one day again? If you don't believe in the resurrection, there's no chance. Then all who have fallen in sleep, asleep in Christ are, are just lost. Hopeless situation. Without the resurrection, Paul says we're slaves of sin, we have no message, no reason to believe, no hope, no future. Without the resurrection of Christ, I see people with a glass in their hands, but it's empty. They're still thirsty. There is thirst for more, something to believe in. But there's nothing. I see preachers preaching rules and regulations, a moral lifestyle without hope. And I see people coming together in a building somewhere just to come together because it's nice but without hope, because there's nothing. Thirdly, if Christ were not raised, we have only the now, only this world. I want to show you two pictures of two very important figures in the history of philosophy. Both would be seen as fathers of atheism. Friedrich Nietzsche and Ludwig Feuerbach. 
Friedrich Nietzsche was the son of a German pastor in the Lutheran church. He got disillusioned with the church of Jesus Christ. And he said, God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. In his book, Alsoersprach Zarathustra, he says, I entreat you, my brothers, remain true to the earth and do not believe those who speak to you of superterrestrial hopes. They are poisoners, whether they know it or not. And some people followed him and he said, don't follow me, follow yourself. Ludwig Feuerbach said, There is no God. Humanity is its own God. Man is the beginning, the center, and the end of all religion. Nietzsche remarked at some stage that when you come to a point where you say there is no God, it becomes a very lonely place. Then you have only yourself. The emphasis, therefore, shifts from the life to come to the only thing you have here and now. And this is what Paul says in chapter 15, verse 32. If there is no resurrection, if the dead are not raised to life, then, as the saying goes, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The tree lies where it's fallen. That is what some churches even tell you to believe. Listen to Paul. If we have no hope, in Christ, if we have hope only for this life, we are the most miserable people in the world. Pitiful. So here's the three issues that if Christ were not raised, let's close the doors today and not come back. If he was not raised, there's no future. We have only now. Let's go for this life. Let's eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. That is the long and the short. But there's another option. And that is to believe that Christ is risen. And when you believe that. There's something of a lightheartedness that comes into your life. You can actually make a bit of fun of death. And some people would say, making fun of death? That's not good. Well, Paul does it. He does it in chapter 15, verse 54. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Come on, death, 
Bring it on. Bring it on. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? What makes you dangerous? What causes hurt? The Greek word for sting refers to almost anything with a sting, with fangs, with points, with hooks. Can be a wasp, a mosquito, a snake, a thorn, a plow, a whip with its points. And it is symbolizing the harmfulness of death. It symbolizes damage and pain and fever. Paul says, death still exists, but it's powerless. It can cause no harm anymore. The more I sit with people who die, the more I realize what a peaceful process it is. If we have Christ as our Savior, the risen Lord, with what joy and peace can we go into the future? How can we say this? How can we say this? Listen to what Paul says. He says, death gets its power to hurt from sin. Verse 56. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? We read it already. For I received, I passed it on to you. Christ died for our sins. That thing that makes sin or death so dangerous and hurtful, sin, Christ died for it. He was buried and he was raised to life. You know what happened to us as a result of that? It becomes the guarantee of our own resurrection. Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of our own resurrection. Listen to what Paul says. The fact is that Christ has been raised from the dead. He has become the first of a great harvest of those who will be raised to life again. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Christ. But there is an order in this resurrection. Christ was raised first. Then when Christ comes back, all his people will be raised. The Dutch minister and professor of New Testament J.P. Versteeg said the resurrection of Jesus differs from the resurrection of Jairus' daughter or Lazarus. In their cases, death is only pushed back for a short period of time. They died again. But with Jesus' resurrection, death died. Death has been converted. And because of this, people throughout history could die for Christ because they knew this is not the final reality. Just before he was executed by a firing squad, 
A Russian Orthodox priest said, you can shoot. I will live. Jesus' resurrection guarantees that every believer, everyone who placed their trust in Jesus Christ, will experience victory over death and evil powers. Karl Barth, the Swiss theologian, um, uses three beautiful images uh, to illustrate the reality that we still live in a broken world. But the outcome is absolutely certain. He says, Easter is the proclamation of a victory already won. The war is at end. People celebrate the victory like the soldiers. Even though here and there, troops are still shooting. There's small, small fights still going on. Because they've not heard anything about the capitulation. He says the, the chess game is won. Even though a player can still make one or two other moves, it's checkmate. The clock has run down. Even though the pendulum still swings a few times this way and that. The Easter message tells us that our enemies sin, the curse of sin and death, are beaten. What then, Karl Barth says, if you've heard the Easter message, you can no longer run around with a tragic face and lead the humorless existence of a man who has no hope. One thing still holds, and, and only this one thing is really serious, that Jesus is the victor. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the heart of the church. Take that out, and there's no church left. The scientist Blaise Pascal said, without Christ, the world cannot continue to exist. Without Christ, the world must either be destroyed or changed in some kind of of hell. But when we've heard the message of Easter, and when that takes control of our lives, we are liberated from our sin, from our anxiety, liberated from spending our energy all the time in trying to get rid of all these bad things in life. So that we can use all our energy to serve God in freedom. The resurrection of Christ is not neutral information of which we can just take notice and say, well, that's a very interesting fact. It is life-changing. You see, the resurrection of Christ results in a life of resurrection. It liberates us from the danger of a self-centered life where we say, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Because if you drank the water of, 
of the message of the resurrection, you have energy to go on. This chapter ends with a passage or a verse that had massive influence in my life. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I want to tell you that this specific passage was the passage that I first preached when I became a minister in 1986. It meant a lot to me that, that God, through his resurrection, empowers us to work for him, to stand for him. And every time I was in a bad place in my ministry, for some reason, someone gave me this word. Because our ministry and our lives are in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have absolutely nothing to fear. It gives us hope. It gives us faith. Just look at this verse. And some of the commentators said, we should understand that what Paul is doing here is, is working with three big central things what he's trying to teach people. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. He means in faith. Let nothing move you. Be steady in hope. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Be enthusiastic in love. Firm in faith, steady in hope, enthusiastic in love. This is the result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. We find this idea throughout the New Testament. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, Paul says in Colossians 3, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Let God's agenda fill your thoughts. Dorothy Zeller, a German scholar, said, When we proclaim to each other, Christ has risen, he has truly risen, we are proclaiming our liberation and we identify ourselves with the broken people around us. We identify ourselves with the poor. We love Mother Earth. We build peace with our whole life. We make plows from our swords. The power of the resurrection should be visible in our daily lives. I should ask Lily or Florence now to pronounce this French name. Antoine. Ah, thank you. He was uh, a well-known French pilot and he wrote about an emergency landing that he had to perform in the desert. Uh, he couldn't repair 
the aeroplane, so he had only one choice. And that's to walk and walk until he could find someone to help. And after days, he had no water or energy to go on. But he said one thing that, that kept him going was this. His wife and his children. He couldn't give up. How would they feel if he gave up? And for, that, for their sake, he had to go on and on. His future life with them was more important than the suffering now. As Christians who believe in the resurrection of Christ, we endure, we persevere, we show love, faith, and hope because there's a life with God. So here's our challenge today. Your challenge today. You can either embrace the message of Jesus Christ or not. And if he were not raised, and you don't believe that, and you don't want to believe that, and this is not in your heart, Think twice. Think, where, why are you here? What are you doing here? If you want to come back here just because it's a nice group of people to come to and we're not always that nice, there's no sense. That's the one possibility. The other is that you embrace Jesus Christ, the risen one, so that your life will be filled with the good things of God. As Paul says, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that you labor in the Lord. It's never in vain. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the joyful message of your salvation. We thank you that we can trust in you. Not only for this life, but also for the life to come. And we pray, Spirit of God, that you would fill our lives with this message so that we can care properly for the people and the world around us. Because we know our labor in your service is not in vain. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.